and welcome to the Small Firms Association podcast, part of our Grow, Scale, Succeed program. Well, the SFA is the voice of small business in Ireland and represents a diverse membership of businesses, typically with under 50 employees. The SFA is homegrown and spans every sector of the Irish economy. Well, in today's podcast, I'm joined by Brian Smith, and Brian is founding member and managing director of Maybe International. Brian has over 20 years experience helping organizations in different parts of the world to achieve new levels of performance, success, and overall well-being. He's written two books. The first, Managing to be Human, explains how it's possible to lead and manage with integrity and effectiveness. His latest book, Your Beautiful Life, a gift was written to help people make the most of their everyday and to enrich their lives. Well, one way in which we enrich life is by good communications. And that's the topic of the podcast today with Brian. Um, Brian, how do we know that we're really communicating, really getting our message across? And sometimes we're engaged in miscommunication unintentionally. But how do we know that we're really communicating with people? And why does it always come up as an issue everywhere? The biggest problem around here is communications. In fact, there is no communications. This was the result of a survey and feedback that a company some years ago had received. And I had been asked to help them deal with it, deal with this problem of communications. One of the biggest problems or, or named offenders in this regard was the operations manager. Stories about his poor communications came from all directions. The story seemed alarmingly consistent. When I met with the same operations manager, he was quite defensive and defiant. He could rattle off the names of the baddies who are poisoning the environment and fomenting industrial relations conflict. Many of them were simply beyond helping or changing, he assured me. Imagine my surprise then when I heard from the managing director that the same operations manager had presented a plan to deal with the communications issue to the senior team. His proposal was to introduce closed-circuit television screens throughout the site. That was quite dramatic, huh? Yeah. These screens would broadcast news items at several times throughout the day. Maybe hourly, he had suggested. That way, he said, they, would have, they could have no possible problem with communications, he cheerfully and proudly pronounced. He was quite upset then and disgruntled when his proposal was turned down and more convinced than ever that wherever the problem lay, if there was a problem at all, it certainly wasn't with him. Not a great solution. <laughs> um, but that wouldn't do that much harm, would it? Uh, I, I, you mightn't be too enamoured with the proposal, but I think it is important to be clear about why we see it as such an inadequate solution and what harm would it do. It's not just because of the expense, nor is it because of the, the, the effort and the distraction it would involve. It could in part be because it might be biased or because it might not be fulsome or transparent in the information it would provide. And, and while there's some truth in all of these, the principal reason why any such measure fails and will always fail to deal with problems with communications is that all these approaches are one way and not communications at all. 
There may be occasions, but not communications. Communications is about uniting, combining, joining two minds, and not simply about giving data or information. This is the main reason why people justifiably feel disengaged from their companies. A Gallup poll which studied millions of workers across 142 countries found that 13% of them said they were engaged in their jobs, 63% said they were not engaged, and 24% said they were actively disengaged. So close on 87% of people do not feel engaged. Now, if, as we know, this will have serious effects for their commitment and their contribution, then we are doing serious damage to the welfare and performance of our organizations and hindering their success by failing to communicate with people in a real way, in an engaging way. That's quite a shocking statistic, isn't it? 87% of people don't feel they're engaged. What's the answer then? What do they do in that company? Well, yeah, in the case of the company we're talking about, instead of his closed-circuit television solution, a monthly newsletter was prepared and distributed, and this did play a part in improving the communications issue. But over and above that, a forum was introduced where managers and trade union representatives, and it was a very industrial relations-based uh, uh, situation, managers and trade union representatives met on a regular basis to talk about and resolve ongoing issues and any new issues that arose. Now, this wasn't an information-giving session, one way, nor was it a negotiating session. It was an engagement session where the two parties openly, respectfully and maturely worked on all issues and creatively together solved them. It led to a change in the overall culture where there was real communications and real engagement. This wasn't without its challenges. Becoming engaged in the company brought with it responsibilities. It was easy under the old traditional management regime to make unreasonable requests or demands. It was fine to oppose management initiatives and plans irrespective of how much sense they made. It was seen as normal to defend the indefensible when an employee's performance or behaviour was questioned. This all changed with the change in culture that the improvement in communications engagement brought. Did that lead to kind of less entrenchment on both sides? Absolutely. They became one, they became united in going after a, a cause and confident that they could respectfully and maturely resolve any issues and arrive at a good solution that would work for everybody on those issues. It kind of makes sense and it seems straightforward enough, but is it easy to kind of bring that into, into particularly where things have been entrenched, is it difficult to bring it into? Yeah, yes, it is. It is. Bringing about this fundamental change in, in culture and in, in communications, uh, it didn't come about automatically in this case either, and it wasn't just as easy as that. It also required a big change in how management saw their role. 
By change, I mean it necessitated and involved management understanding and accepting that they didn't have all the answers and that they would find and enjoy much better answers by involving and engaging with their people. It needs a certain amount of letting go there, doesn't it? Letting go of their certainty about what was right and letting go of their kind of authority to arbitrarily and unilaterally decide things without talking to anybody. And in this case, it did require some formal training, as did the understanding that their role involved, again, coaching as an essential element. But this quietly but effectively changed the whole understanding and practice of communications. No longer was communications understood as being about keeping people informed of developments one way. Like in the newsletter or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Just pure one way, giving them the information again. It was more about ensuring that people had the wherewithal to find out and understand for themselves what was happening and so be able to respond to it in their own unique way directly. You could say that previously intelligence in the company existed and operated almost exclusively at the top at management level. This was kind of the head of the organization in various senses. Managers analyzed what was happening, devised plans on what to do, and communicated these plans as instructions or directions to their people, one way downward. Can I just ask you, is there a gender element in this? Is there a diversity element when it comes to communications as well? Um, You know, if you have a better um, diversity at all levels of management, does it change the dynamic with communications? Absolutely, and uh, those two areas, both gender and uh, and diversity, are, are critical areas. Um, and uh, I kind of uh, react when I hear um, companies kind of being forced or obliged to have a, a certain number of uh, females uh, working in the company instead of wanting them, wanting them because of their difference, because of the different way of seeing things, because of their different reactions. And the same for diverse groups, wonderful to have different cultures. They're going to bring all kinds of creative ways of seeing the world that we simply don't have and can't see. So instead of it being a burden, uh, it should be a huge uh, additional resource to companies to have diversity. Um, what was so wrong um, with, the, with the other, the previous, why is this very different, a very different approach now? Well, yeah, the, the shift from, you know, managers being in control and so on, uh, it, it was difficult because, because people, people on the receiving end also went along with it. They became used to it. They became used to what I call parent-child management. So they're getting treated as children, and they, they've had that from their parents, and they've had it in, in primary school, they've had it in yeah. secondary school, mm-hmm. they've had it everywhere. So the fact that my, my, my manager or boss is deciding things for me wasn't a big problem for them, but it's inherently disrespectful and damaging. So even though they went along with decisions and plans and initiatives that they didn't actually agree with, and sometimes they knew wouldn't work at all, uh, and this is happening all the time. So with this change, that, that became a different situation. People were equipped with the means to see and observe directly for themselves what was going on, and they were helped and coached 
and facilitated by their managers to come up with the best responses for whatever was happening. So again, all the wisdom and know-how didn't exist in the head of the organization, in the managers, but was throughout the whole organization. And this then was becoming, was getting exploited and used and put to the benefit of the organization. I presume it makes an organization more agile and more quicker to respond to, to changes in the market as well. Um, but bringing those changes, does it really make that big a difference? Yeah, it, it does because you're, you're absolutely right. It does lead to flexibility because instead of selling things or convincing people about a change, people become part of the change and therefore they go along with it and understand the rationale for it. I, I just don't believe in change programs. Uh, I think the change program means that people are not involved in the actual decision itself and don't understand the rationale for it. In this particular case, the organization became what I call an intelligent organization. Again, intelligence no longer lay with management, but was built into what people did on a daily basis. Yeah, previously there were dashboards and many sophisticated tools for displaying information, but they belonged to management and were used by management to encourage or embarrass or pressurize people into doing things. This all changed and dashboards and information systems now were tools that were available to people themselves to see what was happening and to be able to respond to it as mature, intelligent uh, individuals. It was they then who shared this inform information and had it communicated back to management as well, what they saw happening. And they used these communication meetings to check out what they might have been missing or, or getting wrong and to get the expertise and wisdom of their managers on how to handle things even better. And now we had real two-way adult-to-adult communication. So people were going to their managers to check out, are we getting this right? Are we missing something? Instead of managers reviewing and checking and controlling and correcting in, in a downward a, a dominating down, way. Yeah. Uh, I presume it comes down to respect and just respecting that your employees have some intelligence as well and that it's safe for them to actually say stuff back to you as well because you know if there's a safe and not a blame culture um, that you have that adult to adult conversation or that communication that that's what's best for all of the company all around and the employees. It is, and you're absolutely right about respect. And it's not a kind of respect in the sense that I respect you so I don't offend you, but I respect you as a powerful, powerful, powerful resource. A as human a resource. Person, as yeah. a human resource. It's mm -hmm. like uh, uh, this laptop. If I, if I use it to uh, put my cup on, or uh, if I use it to hammer in nails, I'm not making great use of it. Instead of the wonderful richness that's in there. But sometimes we take laptops. We, take human, we treat people like laptops that we don't use. We don't make the, the most of. And uh, in this particular company, I mean, previously I was often present with managers when an employee would arrive to the office with the problem and leave with a solution from their manager, of course. Now they would come to tell the manager what they were doing in case they might be missing something, or they would come to tell them what they had done so that their manager was informed, communicated with. And probably with both intelligences, they could come up with an alternative solution as well. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I presume like from the, from the example you're talking about, this improved things and maybe people felt better and felt that they now had a voice, uh, some way of communicating. 
Yeah, you, you, you're right. You can imagine the great difference this made both to performance in, in the company and to, as you're saying, the well-being of everybody, workers and management. Ownership, accountability, responsibility were now shared by everybody. But an even deeper change took place before our very eyes. People grew. They believed more in themselves. They had more confidence. They took on more. They raised their standards and expectations, not because they now knew more, but because of how they were being treated. It was the experience of being treated with respect that you've mentioned as adults, as competent and trustworthy people and human beings that gave them a whole new image of themselves, a new dignity and a greater sense of confidence. Now, for a small business owner to relinquish that kind of control, does it take a bit of courage? Uh, you know, to, if you're used to managing a small company and you've built it up so much and you've always been in charge of everything and you've always dictated from the top, does it take a bit of courage, a bit of gumption to kind of relinquish that and to open the door to communication? Huge courage, I think. Huge courage. Because I have to, I want to be in control of things. My job is to make sure everything goes well. And now here I am trusting other people uh, to handle it. Uh, that's a risk. And I need great courage. To, I need great courage to do that. But that trust that we give to people is the greatest gift we can give people. The thing that they most want to be trusted as intelligent, responsible people. But you're right. It does call for courage. And a word you've used a few times: letting go. Letting go. That's not easy in anything in life. It's like a line from the Disney song, isn't it? Let it go. Let yeah, it go. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, well, just to, to wrap up, I take it that the performance, the contribution, and the overall performance of the company improved, did it? Yes, it did. And, and that's an important question because at the end of the day, engagement isn't about having people feeling good and nice about themselves, which is important. It's the greatest benefit is improved performance. That's the greatest benefit, benefit of real engagement with people. It's the quality of the relationships we build with them that enables them, literally empowers them to become more than they believed they were and to contribute more than they previously could ever have done. Yes, of course, engaging with people and developing healthy communication systems is good for everybody at a personal and human level. But it's also good for business because it helps to get in touch with and make the most of the innate and rich competencies in people, which so often go unnoticed or underutilized or untapped. Good communications along the lines we've been talking about does what the word says. It unites us around a common goal and what's good for all of us. Communications, real communications, is really the lifeblood of every company. So the lifeblood, so let go, be patient, be courageous, be respectful. These are all the keys to good communications in a company. Um, great advice there, Brian. Thank you so much. Brian has been our guest on the podcast this week. I uh, really enjoyed everything you had to tell us, and I hope the members will as well. That's all from the Small Firms Association podcast for today. Do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on your podcast provider on your mobile, your tablet, laptop, or however you like to subscribe. Don't forget you can find us on Twitter and also on our own website, sfa.ie, and on LinkedIn, SoundCloud, YouTube, Facebook. Until the next time, from me, Angie Mazzetti, and all on the team here in the Small Farms Association. Goodbye. Take care.
Take care and good listening.